0: I switch over to Facebook for a second, and then I get these notifications that are like, oh, like, you know, your old professor from college marked themselves safe in the great Baltimore gas explosion. And I was like, what are they talking about? Three houses. Three? Yeah. Oh, my God. What happened? Uh, There was a
1: gas leak, and it exploded. Your mom heard it outside (gasps) and came in and was like, I think I heard an explosion. What? And I was like, what? Because I had my headphones and I was doing yeah. research <laughs> for the podcast. That's insane. What yeah. time did it happen? Um, Nine or ten in the morning. Gosh. Crazy. That's nuts. Only I- one dead so far. But, like, there were
0: people trapped for hours. Like, oh a my mom my and gosh. children. That's wild. I, like, I mean, I'm, I was just driving and, like, doing tests today. So I was just in my car. So I, I didn't hear anything. Yeah. That's that's so sad. Ugh, I hope that. The rest of the people are okay, but we're not here to ruin your no, day. No, we're not here to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about history on the rocks with Katie and Allie, and this is a show where we talk about famous women in history,
1: and we talk about good women and
0: bad women, and fictional women and
1: non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance.
0: But just so you know, we are drinking the entire time, and
1: we're not historians. No, we're
0: not. <laughs> This is why we have dubbed ourselves professional drinkers and amateur historians.
1: We have a little bit of common sense and a mm-hmm. lot of alcohol,
0: mm-hmm. which is, I think, the perfect combination. It is, and we do it. we do do our research, but we do it the same place that you do. Yes, the internet, YouTube, Wikipedia, random articles on Jezebel, so, uh, iTunes, iTunes, <laughs> which is
1: we're coming to you from iTunes, uh, and then of course just Google, Google, Google. Absolutely,
0: we don't. Bing. No, we don't no. ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Sorry, you were yes, <laughs> it's just so funny because I was ta- I was listening to a show earlier, and um, they're like, "Oh, we should ask Jeeves." And they're like, "That site is still around. You can still ask Jeeves. It's still a search engine." Yes, I might try to bring it back. Bring it back. Ask Jeeves, the official sponsor of her Around the Rocks podcast. (laughs) We only use Ask Jeeves in our research. Brought to you by (laughs) Jeeves.
1: Oh my goodness. So today we have bonus sparkling rosé yes. we're not drinking beer which is great because it's a hot day in swampy swampy Baltimore Ooh, it absolutely is and we haven't recorded an episode for a while yeah so I don't even know what comes next I don't either oh people w-
0: are busy people are busy yes. checking their gas <laughs> that there's no gas leaks in their house yes please do it is very important I cannot tell you how many apartments I've walked in I'm like uh, it smells like gas can someone mm-hmm. check that out it's very scary
1: or maybe they're changing the batteries on what's that thing that person called you carbon monoxide Car- Carbon monoxide detector. Yes. They're
0: changing batteries. Your hands are busy. Yeah, someone called me about that recently and they were yelling at me because I didn't know how to fix it and I said, I think you should call the fire department because it sounds like you have a carbon monoxide yeah. leak.
1: I mean if you I flip, don't know what
0: I can do to help. If you flip the thing over, it tells you whether or not the battery's dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just flip I, it over. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I was not the right person to call in that scenario. <laughs> no,
1: you're not so. an emergency first responder.
0: Uh, anything but. But um, you're busy doing all those things. You're so So you don't have time busy. to look these women up. No. So we're going to describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head while we're telling their tales. We're going to get a little physical physical physical. really really loud is it coming through really loud on your headphones Uh okay cool that's why I took one
1: out (laughs) uh because I'm recording it louder because we got some feedback
0: that it needs to be louder oh oh, excellent yeah all right um well Allie who are you doing and what does she look like I am doing Hatshepsut tonight
1: the you know female famous female pharaoh of Egypt and this is like my second Egypt episode this season
0: I know. But there's been a lot
1: just there's like a lot. in general because there's a lot of really cool women mm-hmm. from there. So, this is actually a request from Maria Bots4 on Instagram, and it's a request from a while back. So, here you go, girl. And here is what she looks like early statues of her. I mean, every Egyptian carving and statue kind of looks very similar. So yeah, y- you, there's not a lot to go off of unless you find somebody's mummified body and can right. prove that it's them. So her early statues had a feminine body with a male headdress and she often wore all of the regalia that a male Pharaoh would have mm-hmm. including like the beard thing. Yeah. Um, But later, her statues shifted to hide all of her female features, so they took away like her breasts and things like that to make her body look more male. But Mm. she still used she-her pronouns in her writing, which was really confusing to Egyptologists who found this stuff before they knew she was female. For a very long time, it was just assumed that she was male, or at least it was like a we don't know what's going on yeah maybe we're translating this wrong um but they did they do believe they found her mummy in 2007 uh and she was about 50 years old she was a little bit more heavy set than they expected Hmm. um and just she grew up wealthy so like right she had all the money to keep herself well fed in that time in history the nile was super fertile right so um They believe she probably had diabetes. Um, She was balding a little bit in the front, but her hair had grown really long in the back. And a lot of people believe she died of some sort of bone cancer. Hmm. There was like a skin disorder in her family, as there often are in royal families, because you're passing on the exact same genes from um, inbreeding. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was dressed and appeared as a traditional male.
0: So interesting.
1: But she had on black and red nail polish. Really? Punk rock, right? What? Her mummy? Her mummy. What? And I that's didn't even, it.
0: I didn't even know they had nail polish back then. I don't know. But
1: oh when gosh. you look her up, like cartoon drawings of her are like that very sleek eyeliner, mm. you know, Egyptian look. And she was indigenous Egyptian. I should add that. Right. Um, So that's what we know of what she looks like. Wow.
0: That's so interesting because it makes me feel like people in power probably wanted her to look more male. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, I'm going to keep some of my femininity. I do.
1: But I think she also wanted to look more male. Yeah. Oh,
0: so interesting. Okay. So, uh, I am doing Betty white this week.
1: Oh, we all know what uh, she looks like. Everyone
0: knows what she looks like. She is five, four with kind of like puffy whitish, slightly curled, um, blonde hair. So it is blonde. I always think of it as white, but she definitely has blonde hair. But it, 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 Went white with age. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It got lighter with age. Um, She has bright blue eyes, which have a distinct crescent shape when she laughs. She has a petite nose and a perfect smile, which which reaches out to two cute dimples. And she has been on TV for so long that... You see her literally age so gracefully from like a young woman with dark hair to this older, classy, beautiful woman. And I just feel like everyone knows what she looks like because she's literally been on TV forever. And that's what Betty White looks like. I I saw this
1: hysterical tweet from her where somebody like posted a picture and they were like, look at how hot Betty White is. And it was like a younger picture. And she was just like... Thanks, but that's not me. <laughs> Another person. So anytime oh I post about her, I double check that it's actually her. Yes. I get really nervous about it. Um, that's super cool. So what are we going to drink in her honor? Because you're first tonight and I'm really yes. excited to hear her story.
0: So I call this the thank you for being a cocktail. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, sing it. sing it. Thank you for being a cocktail. Thank you. Um, so it is an ounce of gin. Um, Half ounce of triple sec, half ounce of Aperol, lemon juice, and you top the whole thing off with sparkling rosé in honor of her famous character, Rose Nyland. So cheers. Cheers.
1: Oh, it's delicious. Mm.
0: That's really good. Very refreshing.
1: Yeah. And it's typically like bubbly rosé by itself is a
0: little like harsh on my
1: mouth and this the other liquors just cut that completely
0: it really does and also like so the drink is served on the rocks which Mm -hmm. I feel like for champagne cocktails I normally don't do yeah but I like the taste of like like slightly watered down like fizzy drinks I just Mm -hmm. think it tastes really refreshing so I wanted to serve this on the rocks. Um, So when you guys try it out. Yes. (laughs) Just a note. Uh, And I garnish it with a white flower in honor (laughs) of Betty White. So sweet. So what do you know about Betty White? So I know
1: that Betty White has like the longest career on TV in like all of Hollywood, I think. Um, I know she was in the Golden Girls. I think she was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm -hmm. And she has a dirty mouth or is famous for like continuing to make Um, off-color jokes in her age. Uh, And then um, she was like, took control of herself and her screen time as a woman, like, very early. She was, like, one of the first people to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's all, like, I don't know about her personal life. I don't, I wasn't a big watcher of the Golden Girls. Like, I've seen it, but I wasn't really into it. Same with the Mary Tyler
0: Moore show. Like, I've, I've
1: seen episodes, but it was always, like, never in, like, Sequential
0: order. Yeah. And I think that's very common for um, specifically millennials because I think the golden girls came out in the eighties. So we were like, a little too young for it right and even like the reruns like we didn't have cable growing up, right but I knew her as like a cameo character in a lot of things yes because she is that she is like the queen of sitcoms and she can just turn any scene into something spectacular so even if she's a series regular or a guest spot like she is the person that comes in and turns the entire show around she's perfect incredible
1: so why don't you tell me her a to z betty white story
0: okay so i got a lot of this from a bio documentary on youtube and a documentary called betty white the first lady of television on netflix and of course her wikipedia page so betty marion white was born on january 17th 1922 in oak park illinois This is right outside of Chicago. Her parents, Horace and Tess, wanted to name her Elizabeth, but they worried that people will call her Liza or Beth or Betsy. So to make sure people always called her Betty, they just decided to name her Betty. I love when people (laughs) are named a nickname. I do too. It's great. It's so fantastic. And I feel like that's an early indication that like, She is not going to like play around with what she wants. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, my name isn't Betsy. It's not Liza. It is Betty. And that is what I will be called.
1: (laughs) Her parents knew how to raise her. They
0: knew. Oh, my gosh. Her parents are the best. So when she was two years old, her family moved to Los Angeles. So she is a tried and true like Hollywood baby. She's an L.A. girl. Mm hmm. But her parents didn't want her to only know the city, so they spent a ton of time in the great outdoors exploring the mountains of California. Cool. So they would do this thing every summer where they would literally pack up stuff, like three weeks worth of clothes and food. They would put it all onto donkeys and a guide would take them out to the Sierra Mountains And they lived without seeing another human for three weeks in the mountains. And they did this every summer. So Betty has been practicing for quarantine Uh, all along. uh, Yes. She's (laughs) thriving right now. I mean, she's always thriving. but (laughs) But yeah, she was just raised to love nature, to love animals. And she was like... I learned from a very early age to love animals because those summers in the Sierra mountains, she was like, you got to see animals in their natural habitat because you were coming to them. It wasn't people bringing them to you. She was like, I saw some insane things. right? She wasn't <laughs> in like the San Diego zoo. No, no. And like, like it's just so wild to me. Yeah. They would just go out and just be in the wilderness for three weeks. And With if they ran donks, out of food, they ran out of great. food. <laughs> I love that. So, Um, while Betty was growing up in the Great Depression, her family didn't have too much money. Uh, her father made radios and if people couldn't eat, they certainly couldn't like splurge on a radio. Um, he also at some point installed floodlights too, which again is kind of, um, like a business like upper class thing. So like a lot of his skills couldn't really be accessed or used during the Great Depression. So, um instead of accepting payment for his radios that he was making, he would accept dogs um, because his, him and his wife and Betty loved animals so much that like a lot of people needed to get rid of their dogs during the great depression because they couldn't afford to feed them. And so he would be like, well, I'll give you a radio if you give me your dog. So he's kind of like, he's kind of circumventing the awkward situation of like, I can't afford my dog anymore. And he's doing like, he's doing like two really nice things here. That
1: sounds like a burden on their finances
0: though. Yes, it, it is. Because as Betty says, she goes, radios don't eat, but dogs do. Anita so darling, <laughs> like, seriously. at one point during the great depression, when he's not making any money, they had 101
1: they had Dalmatians,
0: 26
1: dogs oh, in their house. My goodness. Call Maria.
0: our sister-in-law literally rescues dogs and at (laughs) one point i'm pretty sure she had 26 dogs in her house yeah as
1: as we speak as we speak
0: um and it was obviously just like a really wild household to grow up in but even though she was an only child she said she was the happiest kid in town she was like my parents were the funniest people ever they loved me they loved animals she goes (laughs) actually i think they were kind of disappointed when they had me because they're like "Eh, she's not as fun as a dog (laughs) (laughs) she can't walk right away it just it's it's the great it's the greatest and she said the worst word to say in her household growing up was bored She said her parents could not stand for you saying, I'm bored, which is how you raise your kids. And I love that. Only boring people get bored. (laughs) And her parents would say, well, there's too many things that you'll never get time to do. So bored is not an option.
1: Hmm. And if she might switch up what I say to the yes. girls,
0: they're tired of hearing <laughs> what I have to say. And if she wasn't taking care of dogs or gallivanting around the mountains with her family, she was excelling at school. She was always a good student, but everyone could see that her passion was with the theater. And when she graduated after doing many, many school plays and musicals, everyone knew that she was bound for a career in show business. Which is funny because she actually wanted to be a park ranger, but women weren't allowed when she was that, when she was young. What a shame. I know.
1: And also like, who's like really excels in school and they're like, you know what you'd be good at? Showbiz. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Isn't that the fallback? I it's know. Like, it's usually like, oh, no, you're too smart. Don't go into show business. Be a like, nurse. Be a
1: nurse. Be a, be a doctor. <laughs> um, know, not, if she couldn't be a park ranger, was she a doc- yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so she couldn't be a park ranger. So she was like, okay, like, I'll go to Hollywood. Um, she also considered being a professional opera singer since she had taken opera lessons for quite some time. But she said the only thing holding her back was she didn't quite have the voice for it. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: only thing holding me back from the one qualification
0: <laughs> you need for this career. And let me say, like, she does have a beautiful singing voice. It's just not like professional opera level. Got it. Um. So three months after graduation in 1939, she made her first TV appearance on a new experimental TV channel. I mean... All TV was experimental at this time. (laughs) Yeah,
1: 39. Like,
0: TVs had only existed for 10 years, and this was the first year that national broadcasts existed. Oh. So she wore her graduation dress because it was her best one, and she sang a song from this opera called The Merry Widow. And the broadcast went all the way from the sixth floor of this building to the first floor. That was the reach. For for the the
1: television station reach was... Negative five floors? Yes. Oh, wow. That's like worse than radio waves.
0: I know. That's like they're experimenting. So she has literally existed on TV since the beginning of TV. I just want to make this clear because I find this fact to be insane. This is
1: like the ahoy hoy on a telephone. Yes.
0: (laughs) She describes wearing dark brown lipstick and heavy pancake makeup just so you could see her face on the screen because, again... This is first TV. Like, it's unbelievable. stage makeup. (laughs) Stage makeup, exactly. Um, So she, at this time, also did work modeling, and her first professional acting job was at the Bliss Hayden Little Theater. When World War II broke out, however, she put her career on hold and volunteered for the American Women's Volunteer Services. Her assignment included the transportation of military supplies throughout California. So hmm. she's just driving all over California, which is what she likes to do anyways, and just delivering all sorts of military supplies to different bases. Is she
1: taking a car or a donkey? A
0: car. Okay. But I think she has a spare donkey in the trunk just, just in, in case. case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes me think of... um. I've been thinking a lot about my grandparents when doing this. Because they're about the same age. Yeah, because they're yeah. about that age. And um, my grandmother... She was so sweet and very she was very Rose Island, actually very naive sometimes and like but very smart. And (laughs) she would tell this story one time. She goes, you know, we went to the Grand Canyon and uh, the guide told us that if a donkey falls into the Grand Canyon, they never let it carry people up the Grand Canyon ever again because they can't trust it. It's not safe. She didn't get the joke. I was like, oh, no, Granny, I think like (laughs) they don't let it do that because the donkey's dead <laughs> <laughs> oh bunny, I just, mm, bunny. she's uh, i feel like i've told that story on here before but i love it so much maybe not but
1: she also moved to california like lickety split who Granny. my grandmother
0: yeah Why did she move to california didn't she just like oh no that was, Aunt that was my that was her daughter oh yeah okay. she was california or bus same thing <laughs> Um, She also participated in, like, events for troops before they were deployed overseas. Um, And it was around this time that she met an airplane pilot named Dick Baker. They married in 1945, but divorced in just six months.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And she said it really sucked because... It's not a great thing to be divorced in general at this time, but especially not when you're 23. And she said she felt like a huge failure. So is
1: she like feeling like an old maid or is it just the the
0: era of time or is it she said she felt like she failed at being a woman of like, I can't even be a wife. Like, what is wrong with me? Which is so sad. That is sad. At
1: 23 years old to feel like I tried for six months and we couldn't
0: make it work. Yeah.
1: But that's how you know she's a real Hollywood girl. Six months is like a long marriage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a few years later, Betty found herself working consistently on the stage and doing lots of radio voice work. Um, but she did a lot of radio voice work because she was getting rejected from film and television roles because they told her that her face was too unphotogenic, which is not, not true, true. At all. She is a beautiful, I
1: feel like her face is a little bit like wide yes. and they were looking for more of that like old Hollywood mm-hmm. sleek and slender look yeah. that you would see on like a,
0: um, Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. Mm hmm. Um, but one man felt that her face was just right. A man named Lane Allen. He had been showing up every night and sitting in the front row of the theater to see her perform when she finally accepted his invitation to dinner. He was a talent agent in LA and the two fell head over heels for each other. And after two years, they married in 1947. And it wasn't long after that when she got her first real big break. So there is this well-known L.A. DJ named Al Jarvis. And he had this, like, hit California radio show. Like, everybody knew his name. Everybody was on his show. And when TV started coming around, they're like, you should do your show, but on television. So he goes, fantastic. I'll call it Hollywood on television. (laughs) (laughs) And Betty was hired to be his cute young sidekick. So... She gets this amazing opportunity to be on TV with Al Jarvis, who's like a local legend. Like people don't really know him across the country right right now, but he knows everyone. And she goes home and she tells Lane and Lane is like, um, no, you can't be on television. You have to stay home and raise our children. Nope. And Betty said, look, if I'm going to have a child, I want it to be the number one thing I focus on. But the number one thing I want to focus on right now is my career. So that's what I'm choosing. And they divorced less than a year after they got married. But they were they were together for two years. I know. And like head over heels. I know. But this is turning into a Ginger Rogers marriage story. <laughs> I thought that. I was like, oh my God. I didn't know that she had been married and divorced so many times. So, But I think it's such a strong move to be like, look, I don't care what you think. Like I'm have an opportunity and I'm going to take it. Well, it's just such the expectation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard because obviously
1: the woman is the one that has to bear the child, but doesn't necessarily have to be the one that
0: cares for the child full time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also, I think that it's, Such a powerful statement, too, because, like, I feel like people assume that people who don't want children hate children, and that is not the case. She is saying... I love children so much that if I had one I would want to give it my full attention and I'm unable to do so I'm I'm not willing to do so so I don't have to do that
1: or also there are like women who do choose to have children and then you know be lawyers and work 80 hours a week and it's like you know what but I make sure that my kid has enough things in place that like they are being taken care of or maybe my husband is a stay at home dad Mm -hmm. and it's like that wasn't an option back then she's feeling like I'm getting divorced I'm failing as a woman because I want to choose my career yeah god we're so lucky these (sighs) days i know also do we have to whisper cuss words i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so that everybody knows just like last week we're recording at katie's parents house my in-laws house but this time they're here yeah so i think every time we
0: cuss we should just whisper it okay okay (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i'm at a slumber party um (laughs) Um. So this also proved to be another factor in Betty's life that made her very unconventional. She was twice divorced before 30 and she was choosing not to have children. And she never did have children. Never. Betty White never had any kids. No. Isn't that no. Well, she's like the mother of Hollywood? And she's never had kids because Ugh. she just chose not to. And people just didn't understand. She's like was Abraham Sarah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's the mother of all the hebrew people i was gonna say i thought she was barren yeah
0: she was okay
1: but then Um, god gave
0: her children okay the, the point is she's the mother of yes all of the hollywood yes she really is um and but yeah but people were just like what is going on with her they didn't understand um but she pressed on because she had a show to do Hollywood on television would soon consume her life because shows were very different from what they are now. They were variety shows and it was unscripted and the show was on six days a week and it ran for five and a half hours every day. That's like working on Broadway. And again, it was live. Like most Broadway shows, I feel like are about like two hours, would you say?
1: Two, two and a half, two, maybe two a half. maybe three maybe if you're like in three. cursed child yeah. realm. Yeah.
0: But like so she is doing basically two to two and a half Broadway shows a day without a script. These are all live with unscripted like they have little skits and stuff that they do. But it's mainly just riffing.
1: How fun would it be to be like I'm going to be a model and then be like oh I'm funny.
0: To find out you're funny. I know. I wish I could find that out. (laughs) And the thing is too. There's no, like, cutting to commercial right now. So they would literally, the commercials were then Betty going, and now a word from one of our sponsors. Have you ever tried this cough syrup? So she's reading the commercials. Yes. She's like a radio disc jockey. Yes, because that's all they knew how to do. All they had was radio. So they said, well, we'll just put radio on TV. And she said in the beginning, they would just literally, like, they her and Al Jarvis would be like, and here's a new single from, you know, Al and the Suggins gang. And like, they'd play a record on television
1: and like sit there and smile. Yeah. Like <laughs> when the, like when the sound goes off and the newscasters are looking at each yep. other <laughs> like oh Will gosh. Ferrell
0: and Christina Applegate. <laughs> That's exactly it. So <laughs> I love Christina Applegate. I mean, sidebar. Me too. Um, but Betty was like, I can still go a little bit longer. So she and Elle also hosted a one-hour nighttime show each night doing sketches and songs. So she was on TV for six and a half hours a day. Live. (laughs) Live. (laughs) (laughs) And as the 50s started to come to to life, so did her popularity. People in Los Angeles loved her. And as television sets became more common in households around the country, so did she.
1: Uh, Can you imagine, though, like the same person on TV for like six hours a day? You can't choose anything else to watch. That's like Big (laughs) Brother from 1984. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, Betty White, of course.
0: (laughs) That's insane. She's the president, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish. She also went She'd from, do better. <laughs> she would. She also went from making fifty dollars a week to making three hundred dollars a week during this time, which is about thirty two hundred dollars a week in today's money. Betty! Betty's making a bank. Oh so she's also one of the earliest examples of a television star because there weren't television stars because they didn't exist. There were movie stars. There were movie stars. But she's a TV star, and then she and made- what year
1: is this? Because I feel like Wizard of Oz and Going with the Wind came out in like the 1930s. Yeah, so this, this is, is the 40s, 50s. Oh, this is the 50s. So we've jumped well, now.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, so she started on this in like the late. I think 1949 was when um, Hollywood and television interesting was, was going on. And then, S-
1: but it's also still like
0: local TV and it's going to end up being
1: like national eventually. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, she was also one of the earliest examples of a television star that then became a spinoff or a television show that became a spinoff TV show. So her and Jarvis turned one of their popular sketches into a sitcom. Called Life with Elizabeth, which is so ironic because, because she, her name wasn't Elizabeth. <laughs> her name wasn't Elizabeth. But um, she was not only the star, but she was a producer. She was a producer of her own TV show, making her one of the first t- female TV producers in Hollywood. And a year after this, she won an Emmy for her show, and she became the full-time host of Hollywood on Television. So she has this sitcom. She's also now the full-time host, replacing Jarvis on this show. Wait, in. wait.
1: She won an Emmy, and the Emmys were then they, uh, they yeah, were there.
0: Apparently, I probably should have put some dates on here. I mean, TV's
1: yeah. brand new, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We let's, should have awards let's, for this. Let's make
0: sure. Yeah, but participation trophies are our fault, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, the Oscars aren't gonna suck. Please. Wait, what's the movie <laughs> no <laughs> like I was gonna say they weren't gonna suck in television. Um so what's that? The movies are the silver screen. So they were like, We're not gonna no let yeah. in this uh no. honorable mention. No,
0: we're gonna make a whole new award. <laughs> um so <laughs> it wasn't long before she became the host of her very own daytime variety show, The Betty White Show. So the Betty White Show And this is not a stage name. This is like her real name. This is her real name. Her name. And this show was so adorable. But it actually got into a lot of controversy because Betty frequently had this young dancer and singer featured on her show named Arthur Duncan. And when her show went national, because this is around that time again where people like the number of TVs in house- households like skyrocketed it's during this time. And exponentially. now you can get TV from California in your home in Mississippi. Right. But then when the houses in Mississippi are watching the Betty White show and they're seeing a black man, Arthur Duncan, singing and dancing on her TV show. Like, no way. They are saying absolutely not. And they boycotted her show all across the South
1: interesting so it's like the west they were like comfortable yeah because she's in california not a slave state like originally and i know we're not in the time of slavery but then it's like you know the bible belt is like get
0: out of here with that yeah and they boycotted her show and betsy was like i don't care like he's my friend he's talented and i'm a producer so like fuck off (laughs) fuck off penny's telling us right now my parents uh katie's parents dog just (laughs) came in and she then
1: left when we cussed and she's gonna tell your parents
0: so these shows that she was on went on for a few years in the 50s but then when the 60s came around she was about to embark on a new exciting television journey
1: game shows oh it doesn't she have multiple Emmys for like being the best game show host ever pretty much okay
0: so betty was a literal tour de force on game shows i use that phrase all the time and i don't even know if i'm using it correctly. tour de force
1: is it just, a tour de france i love it <laughs> i think that's adorable i love it it's so, great
0: she was smart enough to win them on occasion but she was funny and witty enough to make her just an absolute delight to watch so wait she went on game shows she was the celebrity guest host because okay. that was how people I see. like game shows on their own with just normal people were not interesting so they were like okay well like every game show basically has celebrities on it to bring people in and Betty White was like the number one like celebrity guest star I mean she of was a game proof show. that America's got talent she really <laughs> <laughs> because again like Not only because she said, like, her parents and her, like, played games all the time because they were in the middle of the Sierra Mountains and they had nothing else to do. So she was really, really good at games and she was very competitive. But she, again, was so smart and funny and witty that... Anything you threw at her, she could immediately like, yes, and and like turn it into a really funny joke. It was like she had been training for improv. It really was. But she didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. it. Didn't yeah. even have like a name yet. Especially because at this time, again, like she's the celebrity guest star. So she's just being herself on all of these shows. And Betty White is just so darn delightful that herself is enough. And I'm obsessed with her. So, she even had her own game show at one point called Just Men. I <laughs> don't know what you can't it was bring. About. This. You can't make this up. I you can't make it up. So she starts making the rounds on this popular new television phenomena. But there was one show that was her absolute favorite. It was Password, which then turned into like what was it like million dollar pyramid or oh, yeah. thousand dollar A pyramid? A ghost yes. <laughs> from <laughs> Friends. <laughs> and if you don't know what this show is, I highly recommend the secret word with Mindy sketches from SNL with Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. They're so funny. Um, but she loved the show. She was really, really good at it. But the real reason she kept coming back was the host, Alan Luddig. Alan really liked Betty and Betty really liked Alan. But when they first met, Alan's wife had just died from brain cancer. Oh, a shame. I know. And she was also dating someone else. So it was not like the best time for them to meet, but... They just had this immediate connection. So they spent a lot of time together and, like, on and off because she was in California, he was in New York. But then they did a play together in Nantucket, like, for one whole summer. And basically, they realized while they were together on this beautiful summer vacation in, in Nantucket that something really special was going on. So in 1962, he proposed to Betty. But she refused and she actually got really angry with him for asking because she was like, look, you know that I am super hurt from the fact that my first two marriages fell apart before I was 30. Yeah. And I don't really trust men right now. And I just I I can't I can't be married. So he didn't want to give up. So every time he would see her instead of hello, he would say, oh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but he would say Will you marry me? So she'd be like, hey, Alan but will you marry me? And she's like, no. (laughs) Stop it. Every single time. And then he wore the ring that he proposed to her with on a chain around his neck for a year. So every time they would hang out, he would have the ring around his neck ready to go. I have a question.
1: Mm -hmm. Where is
0: the fine line between no means no and romantic? I don't know. I can't find it. You especially can't find it around this time. Yes. Because I think it would be different too if they didn't continue their relationship because they still had a relationship going on. She just didn't want to get married. But, yeah.
1: Which is like... Because I think this is adorable what he's doing, but I would also, if
0: it made me uncomfortable... Yes. It doesn't seem to be making Betty uncomfortable. Yeah, it it isn't. And I thought about that a lot too because if we put it into a different time context, is it creepy? Yes. Like, or a person who's not like, um, reciprocating. Yeah. Then it's very creepy. And it also feels very like pressuring, you know, like, but again, like the way the story turns out, you realize that it wasn't that like, he just wanted to, you know, show her how dedicated he was. Yeah. And so, it was an entire year of will you marry me? I have this ring around my neck. And then the story goes that after a year of this all going on and she realized she's like, I'm being so stupid and I'm wasting all this precious time with him. And so she called him up and instead of saying hello, she just said, yes.
1: That's oh, listen, that's adorable. A, but adorable. she learned that
0: from her parents.
1: Yes. I'm wasting all this time. Like you're never going to have enough time to do anything. Exactly. To do
0: everything. So just do it. Yes. Also don't marry
1: someone you don't want to marry. She wanted to marry him.
0: That's the, that was, and I think that's what makes this story different too, is she wanted to marry him and be with him. But she was like, I I feel like in her mind, she maybe had this like resistance of like marriage means it's going to end. Which is really a sad mindset to have. It's scary, and it's a lot really of scary. women and men go through that. Yeah, they do. So um, they married in 1963, and she became a stepmother to his three teenage children, and he became a stepfather to her two poodles. <laughs> <laughs> he had never. She would have had two poodles. <laughs> I know. He where never... are her 26 dogs? Where have oh, they, they gone? <laughs> oh, where? Oh, where? <laughs> so. um he had never really been an animal person, but when Betty brought dogs into his life, he was overjoyed and he was like, Oh, I understand now why you're so into animals because while she's doing all this, she is continuously rescuing animals. (laughs) Oh my gosh, a dog just barked. (laughs) Penny was making sure we knew. (laughs) Um, so, and so she brings dogs into his life and he's like, Oh my gosh, these are amazing. I love this. And he goes, okay. I am going to really make your dreams come true. Let's produce a show all about animals. So Steve Irwin (laughs) pretty much. It was like the original Steve Irwin. I mean, rest in peace kicking this box. Listen. Um, So they produced a show called the pet set where Betty would have celebrities (laughs) and their pets on. It was basically like a regular talk show, but with pets. And it sounds amazing. I would love to like meet Sandra Bullock's like, cats I feel like Jimmy Fallon could do this he absolutely can we could. just like can we send him a note yes <laughs> a note for you <laughs> um- <laughs> And, but the thing about her show was that she would also talk about serious topics like the health of your pets and diseases to look out for in different breeds. And she was like, hey, like, if you have a great Pyrenees and you live in California, you should really reconsider having a great Pyrenees because they get too hot. And she's like, and then, you know, St. Bernard's, like, heart disease runs rampant. So you should, you know, do this when you're feeding your dog. And like just it, it was a real game changer because back in those days it was like yeah you get a family dog but that's it it was the
1: original like bob barker like spay yes. and your pets and like it, this is important
0: yes and she is telling people pets are just as important as like you know if you're gonna bring a pet into your home don't just treat it like like a pair of shoes like you know you treat it like a child you know what i'm saying pets like, like sleeping on a couch not on a chain <laughs> Exactly, and so she was a really early advocate of like if you're going to bring a pet into your home, like treat it well, don't treat it like garbage so um Unfortunately, the show only lasted a year, um but pet set gone <laughs> pet set but of course, another opportunity came a knocking when a good friend of her husband's, Mary Tyler Moore, had a guest character spot on her show who Betty could play perfectly. The man hungry Sue Ann Nevins was only supposed to be in one episode, but Betty was so lovely and charming and devastatingly funny that they had to keep her on. I mean, in the episode, she literally breaks up one of the main characters' marriages. She like seduces her husband and they break up. And she was supposed to be this hated villain, but people couldn't hate
1: her i love that i know she couldn't get that angelina Jolie vibe she couldn't no she was rocking <laughs> towards it but everybody was like no we're team betty
0: exactly and as mary tyler moore said she just stole the heart of the show and she even like they made her regular occurring character and she immediately won an emmy for outstanding supporting actress of course of course But after seven years of the show, um, and she came on in season four, so she'd only been on for about three years. Mm -hmm. But um, Mary Tyler Moore decided to end the show. It was still extremely popular, but she had the vision to say, I don't want the show to end on a bad note. I want it to end while people still like it, which is
1: still a problem. It's still a problem. The British have it down. though. They
0: really do. They're like, you get two. Two seasons. Do what you will. Sherlock,
1: you love it? Too bad. Gone. Benedict Cumberbatch? He's ours now. Yep. We took him. (laughs) I don't even know. He was on Sherlock (laughs) Brain. Am I wrong? Uh, Yes, he was. (laughs) Okay. Um, Wait, though. Whenever you hear Mary Tyler Moore, do you immediately sing that Weezer song in your head? I do you look just like Betty
0: Holly uh and I'm Mary Tyler Moore Oh, I forgot she's the second verse yes
1: I every single time that's what I sing and I shouldn't but that's the millennial version of Mary Tyler Moore Twilight Bark
0: should we close the door I feel like this is all we got okay you're right there's a dog barking and everything's fine guys we're not in a studio Um, right now (laughs) this is real life we will be in a week but well not next no no no. next week
1: well okay We're recording on a Monday. This episode's coming out Thursday. We're also recording on Thursday. So the next two episodes you hear are going to be unsanctioned. Dogs and children everywhere. And it's okay. It's all right. I've heard very famous podcasts end up with like dogs scratching in the background. And it's all right. Absolutely. I'm calling this...
0: No cut Monday. I love it. <laughs> We're not, not cutting I'm not, anything. I'm not cutting anything. <laughs> <her>. I'm busy. <laughs> oh. I'm too busy. <laughs> um, so. Busy as a bee. <laughs> but I really do think that this was a visionary move of like, and again, a really cool move on the part of like female producers to be like, yeah, I'm going to end this show on my terms, not on someone else's terms.
1: I love it. You're not being canceled. You're yes. retiring. Mm-hmm.
0: That's exactly it. And, I will say like I got to like in these documentaries I was watching watch the last scene of the Mary Tyler Moore show and it was like really emotional because all these people had been together for seven years and they truly loved working with each other and they were talking about how like even like Betty White who hadn't been there for the whole time but had become just as much a part of the cast like they're all like hugging at the end and one of the guys was like we weren't our characters he was like we were just us like saying goodbye to each other because we didn't want to quit, but we knew it was the right thing to do. I just, mm. I'm like tearing up thinking, about it, which is a show I didn't even watch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> <that's so sad." laughs> the memories. Um, I also now just always think of, um, when when the friends ended oh my god and, and it, it was like, around and
1: it's on their keys it's, oh my
0: gosh it's like a really emotional time and they filmed the last scene and everybody's hugging and crying and paul rudd <laughs> had only been on the show for like a season mike hannigan you was mean just going around and he goes what a ride <laughs> <laughs> and people are like no And
1: <laughs> i mean th- that 70s show did it the best Did you see the finale? No. They're counting down to midnight in 1979, and mom pops champagne, and they're like 10, 9, 8, 7. You know, they're counting down, and then they get to one, and it goes to black because it's not the 1970s anymore.
0: That's really sad. (laughs) Doesn't that break your heart? There's nothing. No time for crying. Can't be that 70s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No crying here. We're busy.
0: (laughs) So. From the end of this came a lot of spin offs for the actors and the characters. Um, but her show that she spanned off, like did not do so hot. I think it was also called the Betty White Show. <laughs> um and it just like didn't really work and so now she's in her fifties and she doesn't have a show. But of course, the best kinds of friends are celebrities. So she was able to consistently appear on programs such as the Carol Burnett show, which she absolutely loved. Her and Carol Burnett were very good friends. Carol Burnett is a treat. <sighs> and a treasure. Um, <laughs> And whenever she was on, she would like call like Carol and the other stars and she'd be like, oh my gosh, we get to play together next week. I'm so excited. Like it wasn't work for her. It she was a play date. Loved it. Um... She's she's hanging out. She's doing like bits on Carol Burnett show, Johnny Carson show, and of course game shows. But in 1981, her beloved husband was diagnosed with stomach cancer. No, yeah, Betty was, I mean, just heartbroken because it was very quick and very terminal. He passed away in June of 1981, so he only had six months before, like. We think. Like, I don't even know when he was officially diagnosed, but it was only a couple of months.
1: Wow. What a shame. When it happens really that sad. quick, there's
0: not a lot of time to uh, wrap things up. There's just not. And Betty was just devastated. I mean, she has never been with another man since. And when Larry King asked her why she never moved on and remarried, she said, well, once you've had the best, who needs the rest? Oh, <laughs> which also makes me want to cry. <laughs> this is so emotional. Is it really, I was crying a lot, which is why I was so late. Betty. Maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> it's mean, just my eyes were too blurry to finish typing. <laughs> um, but of course, dear Betty, instead of grieving threw herself more into her work, she started appearing in Carol Burnett's new sitcom, Mama's House. And she became really involved with various animal, animal charities. And she wrote a book about animals. Um, Mama's House only lasted two years. Um, and the tabloids were like, well, that's it. I mean, Betty's over. She's in her 60s now. Like, Girls was, can't do it. That was her last. They literally were saying, like, that was her last shot. I guess she's done.
1: Listen, Meryl Streep will tell you different. Yep. So Betty White. <laughs> but in
0: 1985, she came back into the spotlight with one of her most iconic TV roles, show roles of all time. Rosen Island in Golden Girls. I mean, how can you not? How can I mean, mm. when the show was first pitched, people had no hope in it. They said, What in the world are people going to do with a show about four old women? (laughs) And I bet they feel really dumb. So they start the casting process. That's what my mama
1: said about the Ninja Turtles. (laughs) That's
0: true. The infamous doubt of (laughs) Egg Bane and the Ninja Turtles. What are they going to
1: do about these four mutant turtle ninjas?
0: That's like so funny to me because it's like, what can't they do with four teenage mutant Ninja Turtles? (laughs) She was not having it. So... Got to prove people wrong sometimes. (laughs) So they start the casting process and... Betty was originally cast in the role of Blanche and Rue as Rose. No, she wasn't. Mm -hmm. But after a little bit, the producers called the two actresses in and they said, we're going to try something out. Can you do the scenes as each other's characters? Can you flip characters? And it absolutely worked. It got better. It got way better. Betty was a little reluctant at first because... Rose was written at first with the weakest personality. She's like she, a side character. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was very broad. There was no clear definition of who she was and what made her have like a purpose. But of course, Betty would discover her I love this quote terminal naivety. Mm-hmm. And she would make Rose into something beautiful. And frankly, the whole show is something beautiful. It totally rocked the industry by showing how important talented and funny older women can be because there's no place for women of their age to be stars in a tv show and how much
1: people wanted to watch it yes
0: i mean there was just no other place for them to be and like no other place for them to have romantic storylines and raunchy jokes and it was just absolutely groundbreaking and it was a real middle finger to the industry that said you can either play someone's grandmother or be out of work which was what it was And I honestly, frankly, think it still is Yeah. like the Golden Girls was something that was I don't know if it could happen again. I think people have tried, but it was so good. And every actor in it was so good. It has to be right. Yeah, it has to be right. And it really was. And one of my favorite headlines from (laughs) when the show became a runaway hit was sex and the senior girls. NBC's Golden Girls are the Toast of TV with their midlife Miami Spice. (laughs) Ooh, I love it when you read an ad. Thank you. In 1986, she won an Emmy for Best Actress in a Comedy Series. And for the rest of the show's run, she would be nominated every year. And every one of them would eventually win an Emmy for the show. The show ran for seven seasons until B. Arthur, who played Dorothy, left the show The three remaining gals tried to continue the show um, in a kind of a spin-off called Golden Palace, but. Didn't work out. It didn't work. And Betty spent the rest of the 90s in various other sitcoms, um, but she really started to spend more and more time helping animals. And in 1997, she turned down a role in the movie As Good as It Gets because she didn't like the way that a dog was being treated in the movie. She took it very seriously. She has adopted dozens and dozens of abandoned or injured pets over the years, and she's raised an unbelievable amount of money for research for animal vaccines and animal rescues. I had no idea about this with Betty White. It's the thing that no one knows about her, and it's the most important aspect of her life. Like, if you were to ask her what she is, she'd be like, I'm, I'm an animal I'm, activist. Well, and she doesn't say activist, she says advocate. Ugh. She she's said, I perfect. want to work on behalf of animals. I want them to have better lives in any way I like they can. And she's amazing. Um, and since 1970, she has been on the board of the Los Angeles Zoo. And for years, as Christmas gifts to her friends and family, she would donate seeing-eye dogs to blind people who needed them but couldn't afford them.
1: She's great. I mean, I had no idea. I, I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's amazing. She is also a supporter of gay rights, having a very close friendship with Liberace. And she said that if a couple has been together all that time, and I mean, there are gay relationships that are more solid than some heterosexual ones. I think it's fine if they want to get married. I don't know how people can get so anti something. Mind your own business, take care of your affairs, and don't worry about other people so much. Mind your own damn business. Mind your own business. <laughs> I'll get
1: behind that first and, half.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and in the last two decades, she has been in multiple high-budget movies. She is guest in countless TV shows. And to many people's surprise, took a starring role on a soap opera, which many people see as like a huge step down. But I think she just honestly loves to work and thought it was a good opportunity. There's no such thing as selling out anymore. No. And... And in the early 2000s, her agent decided to take her career in a different direction. And he was like, all right, Betty's going to be pop culture now. We're going to make her like really like a pop culture legend. They rbg would her. They did. And in 2006, she appeared in the roast of William Shatner and and the iconic Snickers Super Bowl commercial. And it really signified a turning point where people were like, Okay. I thought she was just like a classic of T V, like Andy Griffith or whatever, and but now she's she's making jokes at
1: me. I mean, literally hangry is because of her. It
0: is. It absolutely that is. That commercial
1: was sold because we were like, Oh, he's acting like Betty White because he hasn't had yeah. enough food.
0: And the whole and like and it's so perfect because the whole joke is like Betty White is actually in this commercial, like in the mud. Getting like- tackled <laughs> in <laughs> the mud. <Tackled. laughs> like with stupid boys. <sighs> It's just, it's so great. I repeat, stupid boys. (laughs) Stupid boys. Um, I I like boys. (laughs) um, And she just also had this renaissance on late night television shows. And she started to become this thing that, like this cultural touchstone that no matter how old you were, you could be like, yes, Betty White. And then in 2010, she became the oldest SNL host at the age of 88 with musical guest Jay-Z. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All because of a Facebook post by a kid in like Texas or something. He was
1: like, why isn't Betty White hosted SNL?
0: Yeah, he posted a thing that was like, Hey, we should start a petition to get Betty White to host SNL. And it went completely viral. And in her opening monologue, she goes, Well, I guess I have to thank Facebook, even (laughs) though I think there are better things to do with your time. (laughs) (laughs) And it was also like, I didn't realize how crucial this episode was because it was also a Mother's Day special. So they brought back tons of classic SNL cast members. So like Molly O'Shannon was there, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler all came to play with Betty White, how could you not? How though? could you
1: not? If you're like going to be with one of the most
0: famous female yeah. comedians of all time, I mean, it's, it's not best. Lucille Ball, but it's yeah. Betty White. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and Lucille Ball were also very good friends. And I was going to ask you that at the end yes.
1: because we're she's been requested for our season seven. Yes, so we're going to do her. But it's like, damn, the two of them are. Tour de, <laughs> tour, tour de forces. Tour de forces. As I like to say. There's an accent <laughs> over the
0: E and the S. It's confusing. Very confusing. Um, but yeah, they had been friends for years and years because they were like the only two like female producers in Hollywood for They're a bit. They were
1: alone.
0: They were alone together and they were like, wow, isn't it wild being two women in comedy and like being around all these men and like them not listening to you? And like. How fun. How fun. Um so then uh in 2010 she started the show Hot in Cleveland and a year <laughs> later a cute show. Very cute show. Um and a year later she published her book If You Ask Me, which she won a Grammy for the um for the audiobook. <laughs> In 2018, PBS made a documentary about her life. Um, She doesn't need any more Grammys. No, she doesn't. Uh, She doesn't need any more Emmys. (laughs) She (laughs) has enough. She needs a
1: hundred Grammys.
0: So uh, it's called Betty White, the First Lady in Television, which is currently on Netflix, and that's how I watched it. It's so great. And most recently, she voiced a character in Toy Story 4. It was a tiger named Bitey White, which, Mm -hmm. of course, is a joke on her name. She is known as the mayor of Hollywood, but Betty says as fun as acting is, she acts so she can fund her work with animals. That's really sweet. It's really sweet. And again, Betty
1: White, a nonprofit in herself.
0: She, no, she, and this is the thing too. It's all so like selfless in a way that she's never like created her own. She's like, no, they already exist. It doesn't need my name on it. Okay. I am just going to, continually support the organizations that are doing the best work love that i love her um and yeah she's played a crucial part in the sex the success of countless animal charities and organizations and like it's just incredible um she is currently 98 years old and she spends her time playing ruthless games of scrabble and other games with her old hollywood friends and she still makes the rounds on late night TV shows, making people laugh on television like she has for the past 80 years. And that's the story so far, of Betty White. I am blown away by her. I know. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I wanted to talk more about her, like, animal activism. But, like, again, like, she is just supporting all the things kind of, like, on the lowdown. Like, it's, like, it's the most important thing to her. But... She knows that, like, her way of making money is, like, making people, like, laugh and, like, not being animal advocate Betty White, but being comedian Betty White. I didn't even know the animal activist thing about her. I didn't either. I had no idea. But I almost think that it's, like, a really good way to do it of, like, look at how I live my life, not what I tell you about my life. You know what I'm saying? Like... Do
1: you know what I also love? Mm -hmm. I think in the last couple of seasons, we've done... Um, several older women, and we have been asked to within the next couple of months be on um, the Hot Flashes podcast. Yes. And I'm just thinking about Dr. Ruth, and I thought <laughs> it would about be her G. so much, yeah. And and obviously Betty White. I I was just thinking about these women that are like cornerstones of like women that we look to, mm-hmm. and I was just blown away by it because when. This podcast asked us to come on. I was like, absolutely. And they're like, we want you to talk about women like post 40 or 50. Yeah. And it was like, well, we have that. Oh, I mean, we like, have lots of that. But, but it's like, also like I, I I need to go back and like scour like people like Yoko yeah. Ono who or like Jocelyn Bell Burnell. Right. They keep
0: going. Yeah. And it's like we start with these women so young and then it's like they age excellently with their accomplishments well and that's what i think is so interesting about betty white is that we only know her as old betty white we but do she's we do but she's been on tv literally since the beginning so like there are some people that know her as like oh yeah from like the elizabeth life with elizabeth like <laughs> She's literally the longest running yep. television actor of all time. Yeah.
1: And Suck no, it, Regis. No, but
0: yes. <laughs> Just kidding. In I, your I, deathbed. <laughs> as everyone learned on the uh, Gal Gab episode, I'm obsessed with him.
1: Yeah, we all love Regis. If you didn't listen to Gal Gab,
0: you really it's worth it. It's very worth it. <laughs> um, well, I'm excited to get into your person. We can
1: go do another drink. So let's
0: make more drinks in my childhood home and we'll be right back. <laughs> with more stray on the rocks.
1: Um so we definitely got a shout out on Instagram today uh from England Kings and Queens. I saw that. How
0: nice, guys. So nice. We love it. Um I also get really excited because that's like a very specific topic, which we haven't breached too much. So we no, we've done a couple. We've done a couple, but it's not our main focus. So I like that they still gave us a shout out, even though um, we aren't uh, too focused on that. I like yeah, it.
1: they were just there to listen to us. And that's OK. That's OK. So
0: um,
1: uh, do you need help with that microphone? OK. Um So, second half of our penultimate episode of season six.
0: I know. And I feel like this is a very fun one.
1: It is a fun one. And I just, I feel like season six has flown.
0: It really has. We've
1: been in quarantine. So, the first half of it is really, really weird. This half of it is really, really weird. Yes.
0: The whole thing is strange. But I feel like we've been really championing, championing, championing. (laughs) second half for sure um (laughs) we are the champions my friends absolutely
1: um as queen would say so i mean are you ready to know all the things about this drink because it's
0: beautiful it is beautiful and i'd want to start drinking it immediately okay so it is called the first great
1: woman Mm. and it's a slice of grapefruit six ounces of blood orange juice mm. so this can be like batch okay. style an ounce and a half of bourbon two ounces of orange cream soda so like cream sickle it up okay uh some fresh rosemary garnish and a few drops of bitters Ooh. cheers it is fancy for me i'm not this type of girl yeah.
0: what do you think it's delicious okay good I love it. I'm also spilling it absolutely everywhere.
1: It's great. I'm really into it. Usually in my Egypt cocktails, I try to throw some vanilla in, but I thought vanilla would make it a little too sweet, like vanilla simple syrup. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's this is what I went for.
0: I love it. And I love the orange cream soda. I feel like it just adds like a really nice base to it. And you forget that there's a bourbon in here, not like... <laughs> Doesn't (laughs) taste like bourbon. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Um, But it's delightful, and I think it would be an amazing batch cocktail.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Because you can put this all in in big ingredients as long as uh, you're not going to let it go flat. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it is bubbly ingredients, but
0: perfect. So what do you know about Hatshepsut? Okay. She was like a female pharaoh Mm -hmm. of Egypt. And that's all I know. Did she... Birth another
1: famous pharaoh? No, I mean she birthed the pharaoh. Yeah, at some I point I don't know but... of
0: his fame. Okay, because I like I always. I mean, he is who, a famous like... pharaoh. Her, no, she did not birth the famous pharaoh. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> not like Tutankhamun No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I uh-uh. think I thought that she was like Tutankhamun's mother. Yeah, that's not true. I
1: think a lot of us lay a lot on her.
0: Yeah, I also think a lot of us lay a lot on King Tut. And he mm-hmm. was like six when he died. Yeah. So, uh, hashtag history, do an episode on King Tut. Yeah. Please i Guys like to know more. <laughs>
1: because we don't
0: do boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> boys are icky. Oh, <gasps> um, um, So, um. So we'll never know on this show. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> but
1: we are going to do King Hatshepsut.
0: King Hatshepsut. Because
1: they do not have a female word for Pharaoh. Interesting. In yeah. Egypt. So
0: she is listed as King Hatshepsut. I wish that it was Farah, and then we go call her Farah Fawcett. Fawcett. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: quick. Oh, my. So she was born around, you know, 1500 BC. It's a little before that, but she's... Uh, you know a thousand and a half years before Cleopatra so I wanted to put that in perspective because she's so far BC that we aren't even understanding the realm
0: of who she is she's so far BC I can't even see
1: (laughs) see your way into Egypt Egypt history goes back really, really far, like 6,000 years, and we're just all not a part of
0: it. Well, and it's also incredible, like, how much we know from so far back in Egypt. They were good record keepers. They were good at it. So studious. Your
1: studiosity is great. (laughs) So the Nile's a powerhouse during Hatshepsut's life and it would flood and the silt would like go on the land and it would create a really fertile area and it was just like food to table, right? Like the Nile's where it's at. Um, But the Nile flooding was connected to the gods. So Egyptian politics economics and religion is heavily connected it's like very interesting it's like the Holy Roman Empire being involved in England it's like oh well why is God so connected to your king yeah and the Nile is like the connector there okay so during Hatshepsut's time Egypt is peaking they had a military they had territory in surrounding areas and her name Hatshepsut means foremost of noble ladies now much of what I say n- there are people who are going to say the opposite there's no right. proof of anything yeah so like if you want to find a really good um Egyptologist about Hatshepsut Kara Cooney, it's C Kara with a K, and then C-O-O-N-E-Y. She's all over YouTube. She's written multiple books about women in Egypt. Like she's the go-to girl. Okay. So find her, read her books, listen to her interviews on YouTube. She's all over the history channel. She's great. So there are two, she's possibly the second of four children, maybe the second of two children, or perhaps the first of two children.
0: Okay. So we, we don't know exact birth order We here. have zero idea what's going on. I mean, on. I'd be shocked if we did know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really <laughs> Any long knowledge long. we have on her, I'm it's, just glad to great. have.
1: <laughs> Either way, her full sibling brothers tragically died, if they even existed. So she's like the heir to her father,
0: Like, because there's either no brothers or her brothers died. Well, and do you think that it's possible that history made up brothers to be like, well, this is why she had to be queen. Right. Because they all died tragically, not just because, like, yeah, she's the firstborn, so she's queen. Definitely possible. And also, all of the pharaohs back then had multiple
1: if dozens hundreds of bastard children because they had so many concubines Mm -hmm. so it's hard to know who's a full sibling versus who's a partial sibling yeah so her father is tutmos the first and her mother is amos who is the direct daughter of the
0: sun god So what do you mean, direct daughter of the sun god? So
1: I mean, most pharaohs were pharaohs because royal blood meant that you were a god. So in her mother's lore, her mother was birthed of the sun god of Egypt. Okay. So her mom is the daughter of the sun god and her father's Thutmose I. That's a lot of pressure. So she's got a lot of pure blood going on. (laughs) Um, They are in the 18th dynasty in egypt which means so a dynasty was not a person it was a full family right so there were 18 full families before her family even got to the throne so my point in saying that is egypt's oldest shit (laughs) (laughs) sorry we're still whispering whispering. (laughs) so she ends up the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty so she is like in the the middle ages of egypt okay So, this family tree was based on royal blood. Most royals married their siblings. Hatshepsut was a child of the pharaoh and his sister wife, not a random concubine, which makes her blood more pure than anybody else's. So, even though... She, you know, there's many half siblings. She's the one who can like marry into the throne. Okay, she can like pick the boy who's gonna be pharaoh and marry with her to take over. Okay, because her be- her blood's real pure. So Amos, her mom had no full brothers, so she was a shoe in for wife of the pharaoh, which is her also her brother. So there's just lots of brother marrying. And Hatshepsut's father was a warrior. Her grandfather was a warrior. Her great-grandfather was a warrior. So they're just like in it to win it. This is also like the golden age of Egypt in terms of trade and literature and architecture. Like they're just doing it. So she grew up like the richest of the rich. She's unmatched in the yeah. amount of money that she's dealing with. And No one really outranked her in bloodline. Males outranked her in gender, but there are no
0: boys that are technically better off than her. Very interesting. It is. I love when historical sexism is backed into a corner.
1: (laughs) You've been painting your deck for hours.
0: Why did you go
1: this way? As a child, she was... um, running around naked, you know. She is, as most kids did, she's living in mud houses, which most people did. She was in what's modern-day Luxor, not the pyramid in Vegas. Back (laughs) then, it was called Thebes. And she grew up basically running around, no clothes, just in the palace, being educated, though. Hold on. So... I'm sorry, where is she geographically? So, at this point, there's kind of two Egypts. There's, there's North Egypts. Egypt okay. and South Egypt. And there's two capitals. And Luxor, present day, and Coma and, Thebes is kind of a little bit southern on the Nile. Okay. It's not like up north where like Alexandria and like the Mediterranean. Is, Right. Okay. Not quite there, but they're on the Nile. Okay. And... There's a northern capital and a southern capital, and they had combined over the years to be one full Egypt, and okay. her dad is the king of both Egypts. Both Egypts. Yeah, he's the okay. pharaoh
0: of two Egypts, and she's just kind of farther south. Okay, and then when you say, like, she grew up in, like, the mud, is that, like, just everything is mud? Every or, like-
1: building is Is built of these, like... Okay, so you know in Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments... Yes. ...where the Hebrew slaves are, like, making bricks out of clay and straw? It's like that. Like the opening scene of the Prince of Egypt. Exactly. So they are literally building buildings out of mud and not rocks, which is something that she changed in her lifetime. Okay, okay.
0: There's, like... It kind of felt like... She's living in mud. And then you said palace. Mm-hmm. So just everything is made of mud, including the palace. Including and the she's palace. going to change. She's going to f- okay. make that different.
1: Okay. So I think a lot of what we see in Egypt history, especially BC Egypt history is very like th- the slaves stomping. Yes. In this mud to create bricks. Yes. And that is what is going to change. Okay. In her lifetime. Okay. So she's educated though to be a queen. She's taught to read. She's taught to write because even though she would have a scribe, it's wise to know how to read because you have to check back what your scribe wrote to make sure it's what you said.
0: I've never thought about the fact that like the scribes could be putting down something totally different. Oh my gosh. They could. They lied all the
1: time in writing. So you could just like be like shenanigans could happen. So you had to absolutely be able to read so that you could know what they were saying.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. She's also taught to be quote unquote pretty or queenly. She learned geometry, history, religion, but in history class, she's mostly learning about her family. <laughs> right. She learned to work like with... on God your grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> your, your grandpa's soon to be husband. <laughs> so <laughs> she learned to work with the priests, Um, and, you know, the priests were like The politician. So in a very serious way, she's learning how to rule Egypt. Her dad is really focused on her. And it was not just the women in the house teaching her like her mother and multiple concubines. She's her dad's favorite, which is common in this podcast. It It is. We see it all the time that when a dad is finally like, well, I have no other options. (laughs) I want you. They rise
0: to the top. Well, cause there's, um, oh my gosh, who were we talking Benazir about? Benazir Buto. Yes. Where her father was like, no, you're first born. So you sit at the head of the table with me. Right. Like, I don't care that you have brothers. Like you're the oldest and I respect you and I love you. Like, because I think that's what's, um, lacking in a lot of historical father daughter relationships is respect. hmm. And when you see a father who respects his daughter just as much as he loves her is, it's incredible. And th- and then it helps them rise up because they're growing up with like, yeah, I do deserve to be respected. Like and my- it's so
1: funny because we talked about it in the gal gab episode where it's just like, not my woman, yes. not my, this you can't mm-hmm. talk or that was Harry Potter. Oh yeah. 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 yeah whatever <laughs> it was, we talked about it and it was just like, you can be condescending to a woman unless it's your woman. Yes, And that's how I feel like a lot of men are. And that's what's happening with yes. her. It's like, he had a wife. He attempted to have several children. Maybe he had some boys. Maybe they died. We don't know. But she gets to rise to the top because he cared for her. Yeah. Which is interesting. So because she's her dad's favorite, she learns to hunt with a javelin. She gets to pursue king things. She starts to wear the short boy wrap clothing, which, you know, the Egyptian wrap thing that comes kind of like up between their legs. Yes. But hangs down. But then the girl one's much longer. Mm-hmm. She's always wearing the short one. Um, this kilt style um, She would travel around with her dad to learn all these things. But she also learned rigid court etiquette from her mother. So she is just like flying high on both places. She had a lot to live up to and she knew it because every time she walks through the city, she sees her family members carved on the walls in front of her. It's like And she's deeply inspired by this. You can't just walk around and be like, oh, my dad's the pharaoh, my mom's the the daughter of the sun god, and like now every wall in the city has my parents' pictures on it. Right. She's so inspired. So her dad in stone made sure to note that his daughter was the heir to the throne after speaking to the gods, of course. He titles his daughter Hatshepsut crown prince of Egypt. Interesting. So dad is on board.
0: Well, and I feel like it also, again, it comes back to, like, it sounds weird to us being like, why don't you just say princess? But they don't have a girl version. Their language literally didn't allow for it. There were
1: no female versions of this word.
0: Yeah. So him calling her prince is... You're the heir not to my throne. Be, yeah, it's not like I wish you were a boy. It's this is the best term for what I'm calling you. Mm-hmm. So like, like it's like you're royal heir. You're, ne- <laughs> you're next. You're next. You're next. You are capital N next. Next in
1: line. <laughs> <laughs> So he introduces her to officials. They shared paperwork. He allows her in the bureaucracy. He taught her how to collect taxes, give justice, do favors, give rewards. He allows her to wear male clothing as she grows. He doesn't care. So when she's between 12 and 15, she got her own court. And um, as all Egyptians did, you prepare for your afterlife. So her mother, the daughter of the sun god in her afterlife, prepared her tomb in the valley of the queens but not had she decided that her burial place would be in the valley of the kings so for all eternity she's like oh i'm gonna hang out with the dudes because they believed in a very very real afterlife you know what i'm saying so oh, yeah. she's just like i'm gonna be the female that's buried in the valley of the kings
0: that's so cool
1: It is very cool. And then her mother dies. So Hatshepsut becomes the co-ruler with her dad because you need a co-regent. So she's given the double diadem of North and South Egypt and is married to her father. Um, But she's seen as the daughter of her dead mother. So it's like she
0: is the co-regent of her father. So she has to be the wife of the pharaoh. Right. But it's not... Like it's, it, and again, it's a really interesting lesson in how language limits us. Right. Because, again, when you say, like, she's married to her dad, it sounds really freaking terrible right but that's not what's going on it's just a legal term because marriage is a legal term and she needs to be the co-regent and it's like you know i'm sure
1: you could dig and there could be historians that told us of horrible sexual relationships between them but in my base research everybody's just like she's co-regent yes she's the daddy's girl and he's grooming her to be a pharaoh
0: right and it's just our language is very limited in what we can see as spouse as spouse. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And uh, I feel like we're also limited in what we see as like father daughter relationships too. And like what we expect and what actually happened. So, um, yeah, that's super interesting. It is.
1: So as Regent, she starts to take these journeys with her dad on the Nile. She goes to the lower capital, which is not, thebes slap slash Luxor. she's going to the lower nile which is heli heliopopolis heliopolis (laughs) heliopolis heliopolis i I feel like heliopolis it sounds right it doesn't matter what it is but on the way i mean it does matter
0: but with an h right
1: uh (laughs) it does matter we love you egypt but i'm not an egyptologist i said i'm not a historian and i'm drunk so by the time she stops, she goes on her way to Memphis, which is not the t- the Tennessee Memphis. <laughs> the Mini- real- So she went Minneapolis
0: to Memphis? That's okay. what she
1: did. Got it.
0: We all know where that is. In the U.S. <laughs>
1: um, so on the way there, you know, she comes across this thousand-year-old pyramid, and she's just blown away at the architecture. She's like... I'm super inspired. I love this. And then she goes to Giza and she's like, oh, I love these pyramids and look at that Sphinx. Like what the hell? This is great. (laughs) I love the way they built this. And you know, it's not out of mud. It's out of like other things. And I'm really thinking this is cool. And she would recreate statues of herself as a Sphinx for years (gasps) to come. That's so cool. Years to come. So the journey also is where she gets the cobra shaped diadem that we see in all of like the Egypt headdresses. It's the thing. It is. And it's like she was the one who got that. And now it's on all the Cleopatra Halloween costumes. Get it together. It's not. Spirit hers. Halloween. <laughs>
0: Come on. <laughs> I know that vacant Kmart looks very tempting, but. You don't need a cobra. Get your, get your <laughs> Egyptian headdress right. <laughs> Falcons. Cleopatra do, was Falcons. I do love the meme. That's like the guy, like, really rubbing his hands, is looking licking his lips, and it's like Spirit Halloween when I see, they see all the businesses going out because of quarantine.
1: Also, we're sorry, small businesses, I'm that you're I'm so dead.
0: sorry that you're being replaced by Spirit Halloween. <laughs> but also, I do need a Halloween costume for this year. Right, so, so we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so. She's obviously, like we said,
1: crowned with the white crown of the north and the red crown of the south. So she has two diadems because she's the like mother queen of all Egypt. And she gets all the titles of her mother, including wife. Like we said, she's 19 years old and officially crowned in 1478 BC. So like 1,500 years before Christ. This is long ago. So... Her dad then dies at age 50, and everybody's like, well, who's going to be the ruler? So her rise to power is really noteworthy because she utilizes her bloodline, her education, and her religion. So there's no consensus on how long she was the actual pharaoh. You can find multiple sources and historians and Egyptologists that say multiple things. Originally, the thought was never she was a regent. And the other boys were pharaohs for her. Some say 22 years at the longest. And then there's literally every number in between.
0: I, again, feel like that's just some sad sexism. Where like current historians literally can't fathom a world where women are in power. Where- or that
1: other men wanted a woman
0: to be yeah. in power. And it's ironic because we have, again, like we said in our Maripatah episode, we have women in other positions of power and like local positions of power, like being doctors back then. But we can't imagine a world where blatant sexism doesn't exist and women aren't allowed to be pharaoh. Right.
1: And it's part of the problem because like present day, most people think she was sole Pharaoh for at least some time, but nobody can agree on how long based on when the men around her said that she was Pharaoh. Okay. So there was a tomb of pottery found in the 1900s where something is stamped with year seven, which would be the seventh year of her reign. And it said God's wife had which is important. Um, And there's like, This is debris from her, like, right-hand man's tomb, so it's kind of notable. It's very weird, so nobody knows. That's my point. Okay. It was very rare for women to be in charge in Egypt. There's only one before her woman who is confirmed as a pharaoh. Uh, We don't know much about her, and most of the women before her were seen as placeholders. Like... Okay, he's fifteen. he needs to be a year older, or yeah. he's you know what I mean, so all of the women, it was like a time of tragedy, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, let's just let this woman who used to be married to the Pharaoh that died just like run it for a year, yeah, so she's the first like actual ruler now, there are people who debate that because there are rulers, the earliest claims are in the first dynasty. Right. Um, but the one we really know of before her is the 12th dynasty, and her name is So neferu Um, and that's really the only one we have, and it was an emergency situation. Okay. If you want to know more about this, like I said earlier, Karakuni wrote a book called when women ruled the world, six Queens of Egypt. She talks about Cleopatra. She talks about Nefertiti and, but she loves exception. That's her thing. And she says like, listen, if you want to know about Egypt,
0: this is your girl. This is the girl that actually ruled, right, and like changed stuff. Yeah, because you can rule and like not change anything. No, you can just
1: be there. And we're gonna learn about how great Hatshepsut was, and that's why it's so shitty that she <laughs> was written out of history so um, she was the sole remaining full-blood daughter of the pharaoh so she starts checking out her half-brothers for marriage because she knows she can't rule alone so Totmas the second is her choice there are two schools of thought here one it had been chosen ahead of time by she and her father because he's a weak guy who is sickly and she can pretty much oh just like run him yeah bulldoze him mm-hmm. and he is a sick guy um Second, people think she made that story up that her dad picked her ahead of time so that she could usurp the throne um, and that her dad had actually chosen Thutmose the second. But A, she's the only full-blood person. B, her dad put a ton of effort in her. C, he called her a prince. And D, he let her dress like a boy and run around doing whatever she wanted. Right. it's Like, Tutmins II is kind of a fat dude. He has no military experience. He's not opinionated. He's not a warrior. He lets her take care of things. He doesn't have, like, a stone hand. So it's like, listen, guys. Um, I'm going to let my daughter dominate you for the next couple of years because I want her to be in charge. Yes. So there are many people who believe he was picked and she usurped it, but there is no... Way because he had so many stepsons that were warriors that he would have picked to be the pharaoh. He chose his daughter and made sure that she was with a dipshit.
0: Well, again, it's us putting sexist ideals onto people of the past. Like, they couldn't have possibly just chosen the, the female daughter. Heir. So, yeah. like,
1: what was really going on? So she marries the II, they have a baby. Together it's a daughter She's unable to bear Any more children really The daughter is Nefuri N-E-F-E-R-U-R-E And um, They can't have any Boys but Tutmus is Working on that with all of his concubines Okay so don't worry okay. we have Tutmosis the second He's out there just banging chicks To try to have a son <gasps> and she's just ruling And she doesn't give a shit A shit So <laughs> What's really interesting here is that although she's married, her understanding of religion helps her to establish herself as God's wife. On one of her statues that she created, she put a quote from Amun, which is a god <laughs> uh, Welcome, my sweet daughter, my favorite, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Hatshepsut. Th- thou art the pharaoh taking possession of two lands so she's quoting god in carving and the god is saying that she's the pharaoh she's good at propaganda she's like making sure that people think that god thinks she should be the pharaoh that's very smart it is she's like as long as the religion is behind me i got this yeah so she's married with one child. Now she can rule. She picks up an advisor, a right-hand man, possibly a lover, which Ooh. I think because they're together for a really long time. He's yeah. a trusted employee. He's a friend. She's known him since childhood. So Sentmunt was of low nobility when he was born, and he worked his way to the top, and he actually gets named as Hatshepsut's daughter's nurse. He's like the royal nurse of the daughter she has with Talman.
0: Okay. So there's like a lot of like gender reversal roles, roles circus. it sounds like he's like the royal nanny. He is the
1: royal nanny nurse of her daughter, which makes me wonder if she even had that child with Tutmus II or if this guy was the
0: dad. Yeah, I'm going to say I doubt it. Yeah, seriously, because it's very weird with that. So, yeah,
1: but he ends up being her royal architect, her comptroller, her king's hand, her bookkeeper together. They start building beautiful temples all over Egypt. So her specific like death temple, you know, they build them ahead of time is um a step pyramid with like these long flat areas with trees and gardens in certain places and it's Drazir draziru which means like the holy of holies or the sublime of sublimes is what they named it you can still visit there today it's very modern but it looks more deserty now back then it was very like fertile and It is seen as a building that had perfect harmony. It was built um, a thousand years before the Parthenon and seen as way greater. It has several terraces that were graced with lush gardens and it's seen as very complex and was definitely significant to architecture. Without this building, a lot of things wouldn't have progressed. So... It actually, at some point, got buried in a landslide, and we didn't rediscover it till the 1800s, so Whoa. like 200 years ago. That's so we, crazy. We didn't even... We've heard about it in writing, but we didn't find it, so they eventually found it. So, the II dies, which is a problem, because it leaves a concubine's son, who is like 6 to 10 years old, as his heir. Okay. So now she's the aunt-slash-stepmother of this child, and... She has to figure out what to do because her daughter at this time we think is presumably dead. We don't know. Some people say she married this child, but most people are like, no, the daughter was already dead. So now six to 10 year old boy, she's the full blood heir, and her daughter's dead. And this six to 10 year old boy is technically the king. And Egypt is used to teenagers running the kingdom, but they're not super keen on, like, a baby running the kingdom. So two years after Thutmose II dies, she does something unprecedented and declares herself king of Egypt. She says, I'm the king now, which took a lot of political savvy because she'd been dressing like a boy for a while. Uh, But it's going to take more. So she starts wearing the short kilt more often, the striped headdress, the crown you know, she's holding the staff things that they always hold. And she says that the gods have spoken to me and, um, that I'm the full blooded heir, And this is a bastard son. So she's got a lot of supporters, most notably the priests of Amand and they bolster together her claims and start painting her conception story on the walls of Egypt. And it is that her mother, the daughter of the sun god woke up to have a glowing god in front of her and um the god had his way with her and put a baby in her so now Hatshepsut is not just the daughter the granddaughter of the sun god she's a literal divine being in Egypt, they're like, oh, well, clearly it's been painted all over the walls like this, She is like, you know, her virgin mother
0: like had a baby, which we've all heard that story. Right. That mm, that's I honestly think we should have done this first half because now I'm too drunk to be comprehending it. It's you'll love it when you listen back. to it. <laughs> This This is absolutely one of those episodes where like now I'm like swimming in all these words and I'm like. I really need to listen back to it to like absorb all of it.
1: It's intense and it's it's unprecedented because there are women who have stepped in for short periods of time to take over. But now she's saying I'm the rightful heir over this young boy. My dad is a literal God and I'm going to rule over Egypt for an undisclosed
0: amount of time. Okay, It's not like
1: I'm waiting for somebody like this is my kingdom
0: right so do you think that most of this is just her almost like citing her sources and be like i deserve to be here in case any of you have any freaking doubt it is okay it's exactly what it is okay
1: so the people agree right off the bat the people are in the priests are in everybody backs her they're like Tutmos the third is way too young. He has to sit and wait. He might outrank her in the future as a grown man, but right now he's a baby. Right. And we need this woman. So here's where I should also mention, like I said earlier, she was super inspired by the stories of her ancestors and looking at the walls of Egypt. But Tutmos the third grew up pissed looking at the walls of Egypt because He walks around everywhere seeing his stepmother who took power from him carved and he is carved like a little tiny man behind her. Little man, little power. Okay. And it rubs him the wrong way. I should also be clear that she did not usurp the throne and she purposely had him carved into those drawings so that she could be like, he's my co-ruler. We're ruling together. Right. Everything's fine. So she begins wearing the beard of office and she wasn't trying to trick anyone. She has all the regalia of a male. But she knew she was female. She had a baby in front of all the people of Egypt. They knew she got pregnant. Right. She there, There's no female word for um, Pharaoh though. So everybody's struggling with pronouns. And I found this to be so modern. yeah. And it actually benefited the Egyptologists of the future. Her dad at one point wrote her down as the majesty of him my daughter because he didn't know how to convey her my daughter he had no words for that so this is a male job and there are male words that are mixed in she uses she her but other people are using he him and in fact She even took on all the titles of her father, but continues to openly describe herself as a beautiful woman because she did not want it to be lost to history. And she refused to take on the one title of her father as a strong bull because that would be very, very masculine. Mm. So she's you know, a maintain type of pharaoh. She's not a warrior going out and conquesting. She selected advisors and let them do their work. She trusts the people around her. So she's not trying to like micromanage everything. She increased trade. She built monuments. She worked on the economics of the kingdom. She was a great ruler. She worked hard. She read all of the paperwork and like um, protests of people in the kingdom. And she would read them and try to work them out. In terms of trade routes, she reestablished trade networks with ones that were disrupted during enemy occupation. And we're going to talk about her trade route with myrrh later. But right now I want to talk about frankincense because she gets it in the kingdom and starts grinding it up to make eyeliner, which is like the the first recorded use of resin.
0: That's so cool. I know.
1: What? And then she also, like, after her mission to Punt, which we'll again talk about later, she goes on all these other missions to, like, the Sinai Peninsula. She's, like, sending people all over. Then she has these building projects. She's probably most noted for her buildings, which is why we know about her at all. She commissioned hundreds of projects in Upper and Lower Egypt they were grander and more numerous than any of the others in the middle kingdom of male pharaohs. And, you know, other people even tried to claim her projects as their own. They were like, Oh no, I built that like pharaohs in the future. So, She employed these really great architects and if you go to the Met in New York City, there's an amazing room that is all for her. I'll put up pictures of me and producer and our daughters in the room because um, our great friends in New York took us to the Met to see this because I I love Egypt and it is just all statues of her and things that she built that have been moved to New York and I'm also a little sad about it because they should be in the museum in Cairo. But it's like, it's a really cool Egypt room that you can go in, in the United States and you are looking at and touching things that she built. That's so cool. It's very cool. So they're breathtaking. And, um, one of her obelisks still stands as the tallest in the world at the time, and the tallest still standing from ancient Egypt. She was great at architecture, and much of Egypt was changed, like we said, from mud to rock buildings, like granite and things that they found from far away. Um, one of them is called the Hatshepsut Needle, which was made of granite, and it is still standing, and it's gorgeous in terms of lauding she really promoted herself which women didn't do back then she ensured that all the buildings and construction is all over the place and there's propaganda about her carved in it and painted on it and like women were relatively high status in egypt but as queen regents and she wanted to make sure that everybody knew she was not a queen regent she was a king So she made sure to paint herself as a king without boobs on all of these things. So the carvings and paintings with female clothing and male headdresses get deeper and deeper into their reign and they remove all breasts from her statues. And there was a lot of debate about this at first. Like, why would she do this? Why did the men do this? And really, it was her choice. She was asserting her claim to the throne so that the statues would show her status. Mm -hmm. She was like, listen, it's not about about the femininity. It's about the fact that I wore a three-piece suit with a red tie and a flag on my lapel. I'm just telling you who I am by my outfit. So no boobs in those. After 15 years of reign, she wanted to celebrate her jubilee, which is something you do at 30 years of your reign. But she saw the III, her stepson, husband, nephew, growing older <laughs> and was like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it to 30 years as a ruler. So, like, I really need to solidify myself in history. So she's like, okay. She asked her right hand man, possible lover, hey, I need you to make the two largest obelisks ever. Um, And it's a tight timeline because I have this party I'm trying to throw. (laughs) So um, these are not like the blocks, Lego blocks in D.C., they would carve them out of one piece of stone and then bring them and put them up. And often they would crack and you would have to start over. And sometimes they would be on rafts on the Nile and flip and sink forever. (gasps) So like this is a really tight timeline with the best architects in Egypt. So which are possibly the best architects in the world at the time. I don't even understand that. Like that's unbelievable. One piece of stone. So he gets these two obelisks down the river. He figures out ramps and sand to get these standing up. There's also slaves at the bottom who are digging out the sand. And then once the thing goes straight up, they die in the hole. So it's not that Egypt is not a slave state because it absolutely is. Um, And then she wants to put these metal cap pyramids on the top which she does so that when the sun hits him it shines everywhere because she's the granddaughter of the sun god but she originally wanted to put metal on all four sides and uh all of her advisors were like you're being extra like yeah don't. which really shows you that she listened to her advisors like yeah don't do that that's a really bad financial decision she was like oh okay great you're yeah. the
0: expert on metal so i will listen not to you. do that i won't i won't do that I'm a sun princess, not a sun god. Right. (laughs) So, Thutmose III is
1: watching and he's like, the farmers listen to her. The architects listen to her. The priests listen to her. I'm so tired of this. I'm going to go on a quest because I'm bored. So he just rolls out and goes on a quest. He comes back with, like, seven dead princes. Like, he's, like, conquering territories that she is not asking her husband, nephew, brother to conquer. And he's starting to gain support because they're like, oh, my God, look at this warrior. She is not a warrior. Like, this is weird. And she starts to see danger she's like i know my rule's is coming to an end i know he's gonna become a man and take over and he's not gonna be a little boy anymore so what can i do so she sends her kingdom on a journey to the kingdom of punt which we don't actually know where it is but really? if you go there and come back you are like the best type of pharaoh It's like El Dorado or Mordor. Like it is like you, we all know where it is, but you kind of went and went back. We think it might've been like somewhere near Somalia or Djibouti or Eritrea or something like that, like on that coast of Africa. But she's sending people like down South to come back. They leave for two years and Tutmos the third is starting to get all these supporters. So They get back on their river boats that they're paddling. And it is like, you know when like a minivan has too much in it and it rides real low to the ground? Yeah. That's how these boats are on the Nile. There's so much stuff. There are greyhounds and leopard skins and jewels and ebony and ivory and money and metal and myrrh. Like everything is in these boats. But most important to her were the myrrh trees that A, are important for mummification, B, smell really good. But C, remind her of her father. So she plants an entire garden of myrrh in that beautiful temple, step temple that we talked about. And it is just like gorgeous and the air smells great and like everybody knows i think you can think if you are close with your dad then you know what your dad smells like and there are certain things that trigger that Mm -hmm. like for me personally it's sawdust Mm -hmm. because my dad works in a wood shop so like when i smell sawdust i'm like oh home you know but it's like that's what she was smelling with her myrrh with her dead dad oh my god! so she's planting these trees now um the punt expedition was not enough Thutmose the third wanted glory. So we stopped seeing things being placed on the walls about her. There's no more carvings. There's no more paintings for five years. He became a priest. So the priests turn against her. He traveled with the military. So the military turns against her. Um, And he's a full grown male. So she doesn't outrank him anymore.
0: Mm.
1: He declares himself the sole ruler in the 22nd year of her quote unquote reign we don't know if that's the exact year but that's what we presume is the longest amount of time um, and we assume that is dead there many say he murdered her others say she died of cancer or a bad tooth it was about the age of 50 Tutmos the after that had over 30 years of reign where he was the Napoleon of Egypt oh. he conquered everything around there and is the strongest richest most feared king of all time Then he did the absolute worst thing that he could do. He sent out thousands of men all over the country to erase Hatshepsut from history. He had them chisel her face off of everything she was ever chiseled on and her name and replace it with Thutmose I and Thutmose II. And sometimes he just left a Hatshepsut shaped hole on the my painting gosh. or carving like look up these paintings it's ridiculous it'll, it'll be a carving in the wall and they'll just be like a chiseled off egyptian human and it's her um he wanted to take her face off of monuments he had her statues smashed he had her myrrh trees pulled from the ground and burnt oh
0: my gosh the
1: obelisks were a problem though so he had them walled up he had them walled in so nobody could see the carvings because he didn't just want to smash them down. So he put like a barrier around them so people would only see his carvings. That and is a bitter, stead.
0: bitter man. Bitter,
1: bitter. Um, and they, those obelisks were not rediscovered till the 1900s. What? We're like less than a hundred years. And these are like 5,000 year old things. Um, or 3,000 year old things. But uh, they did miss some and they did miss some pronouns which is very helpful which is why i think she stuck to her pronouns super hard because that made egyptologists continue to go what why and they kept digging and digging like why does it say she her when it should say he him that's wild so she did that on purpose so we aren't sure why he did it because he wasn't a full blood child of the pharaoh, so he may have been just like trying to solidify his claim, like
0: overcompensate.
1: Right, but he also had like all of her supporters' tombs looted to get rid oh. of her shit so that like nobody could find stuff about her. And then like he laid claim to achievements that she did. He was like, Oh, yeah, I built that. And it was like, You didn't build that. You, 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 that was not what you did. So. I mean, there are people who say he was worried. I don't believe this theory, but people say he was worried that her place would not be solidified in history as a male, so he wanted to help make sure she was a female. Um,
0: no. no, I'm gonna give uh, hard no that, on that. A big no. <laughs> he, he was just being jealous. He's being super jealous. Yeah, and also, like again, I kind of love though that he goes down in history as like a jealous jerk and. She goes down in history as like one of the greatest rulers Pharaohs of, Egypt. of Egypt.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this thing became known as the Hatshepsut problem because people didn't understand the pronouns. So that was the problem finding out whether she was male or female. So there is one. He would make copies of these obelisks. And uh, I've been to one of them. There's one standing in Central Park outside the Met you can visit. Uh, Please go and take a picture of yourself there. It's called Cleopatra's Needle because she had them moved. But it's also the same needles I talked about in the Hypatia episode that she died in front of. So when you go to this one obelisk in Central Park, it's like you are contacting these three women and it's just Beautiful to be in front of. And there's also one in London. And also, obviously, the Met has statues of her in tight female clothing, which are old school statues that didn't even exist. So, like we said, her famous temple was buried in a rock slide and was found much later on. Um, And we knew so very little about her. Uh, Then they found a whole bunch of sarcophaguses, like several of hers but she wasn't buried in any of them because you know you would like continue to upgrade your model yeah. like the richer you got the better of a sarcophagus you made so they found a bunch of empty ones and they were like "Ah, oh, man but the age-old history was mystery was solved in 2007 when she was discovered in a tomb called kv60 A bunch of female mummies had been found in a different location and they were unidentifiable and they did research and all these scientific studies to figure out who they were. But the good part about KV-60 is that it was in the Valley of the Kings and she was the only female mummy that they found buried in the Valley of the Kings. And then they found this tooth in the jar of the royal nurse that identified her body. They like could fit it right into the mummy. What? And they were like, oh my gosh, this is her. So it was truly her. Evidence suggests that she died of bone cancer that had spread through her bodies, And that she also had diabetes. But then people were like, oh, well, did the III kill her? And they thought that maybe because she had this lotion on her skin that caused bone cancer. And they thought it was like a long term thing. But actually, they think her family had a skin disorder and she Uh, probably accidentally poisoned herself trying to soothe her skin because the bone cancer had literally spread through her whole body by the age of 50. So the coolest thing about Hatshepsut is that she left Egypt better than she found it. She put her dynasty onto a secure footing and reared up the next king which was Tutmosis III even though he fucking fucking erased <laughs> her. He she enlarged the Egyptian empire just by rearing him up to the biggest that it's ever been. She used religious propaganda to overcome gender barriers, but we know so little about her because she did everything so well. And that's the difference. If it's more fun to talk about people like Marie Antoinette who had their head chopped off or Cleopatra who quote unquote committed suicide by having an asp bite her arms, but it threatens the patriarchy to talk about women who were just good at their job. Yeah. So people men in the future were willing to take credit for her buildings and her economic success, but they're not willing to take credit for famous female fa- failures. Right. So she's erased from history. She's regarded by historians as one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs and she reigned longer than any other woman of an indigenous Egyptian dynasty.
0: That's so cool.
1: And that's Hatshepsut's story.
0: That's really neat. Can you believe it? No.
1: She's really cool.
0: I also just love that she was such a survivor. Like, they tried to completely erase her. So much they wanted to get rid of her.
1: And I just really think she knew that's why she was using the Mm she-her pronouns. She was like, no, 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 no. We're going to draw me like a boy so people respect me, but I'm going to be sure that all of the writing says she-her. God, that's
0: all right. Well, Are now we need to compare. Yes, we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just, Just the two of us. Okay. I mean, where do you want to start? I feel like I found a lot of connections actually between them. I feel like being an LA girl
1: versus being an
0: Egypt girl mm. is really cool like they were the queen of their hometown. Absolutely. I mean, Betty White is literally known as the mayor of Hollywood.
1: And Women in both of those places were not valued or treated equally, but they both worked the system to ensure that at least their career was
0: solidified. Yeah, and I think it's because they kind of took over traditionally like male traits. So I feel like Conception is like, yeah, I'm going to rule whether you like it or not, because I am a good ruler. I was trained to be a ruler. And Betty White was coming in hot with like, yeah, I'm a woman, but I'm also a professional comedian. I'm, you know what I'm super saying? funny. People are like, oh, she's funny for a female comedian. Yeah. It's like,
1: well, that's not appropriate
0: to say. No, it's like she's like, no, I'm just funny in general. And I feel, too, that, you know, she's funny because she existed for so long on television without a script. Right. And the same thing happened with Hatshepsut. She didn't have a script for ruling. That was a, perfect. She was a naturally good ruler. And Betty was a natural comedian and actress. You're
1: not good for a female comedian. You're not good for a female Egyptian pharaoh. You're just good yeah. at what you do.
0: And I feel like it all kind of stems too from kind of like a positive relationship with their parents. So I was thinking a lot of like lineages of power with Hatshepsut and a lineage of like positive like role models with Betty White and how she was like yeah I learned how to be funny and love animals for my parents and that's what I took on into my next life and like that's what Hatshepsut did she's like I learned how to be a like a ruler and a god and a from god my mom. <laughs> yeah absolutely and I feel like you kind of have these two stark examples of like I was thinking a lot of like how it's learned like javelin throwing and like all these really cool things from her dad. And then you have Betty White going into the Sierra's mountains, Sierra mountains, you know, on donkey, you know, like with her parents. And it's like, yeah, like that's parents taking an active role in their daughter.
1: And it also shows the big differences between them. Like, Betty grew up like lower middle class and Headshep grew up super wealthy mm-hmm. and like you know there's Betty who is like yeah we can have this black man on my show and i don't care and you have Headshep suit who's like bury him in the ground as long as my obelisk gets up i don't give a shit mm-hmm. what slave dies and yeah. it's like they both made these big marks on history but in a different level and it was like they were both promoting feminism but in in a male way, but also, like, one is a little bit more villainous. Like, you yes. can't you can't say that Egyptian slavery was just fine and she was, yeah. like, the coolest girl ever because, like, she wasn't. Like, she yeah. was doing some shitty things, like, to people who were lesser than her. And Betty White did
0: not do that. No, she didn't. And I wrote that Hatshepsut is aggressive while Betty is kind of subversive. Like, mm. they're both kind of working with what they had and what they also... Needed to have so Betty wasn't going to get by by being like an aggressive jerk like because she didn't need to do that she had to be funny and cute she had to be funny and cute and she had to work well with people
1: but do you know what's so funny mm-hmm. that in Egypt Hatshepsut is seen as the non-warrior pharaoh. She was the one who was just so laid back. She didn't try to conquer anybody else. She was just maintaining the government. And it's like, I mean, to us, it looks like, oh my God, you're letting these slaves die. You're going all over. You're building these buildings. But to everybody in Egypt, they were like, why aren't you conquering our next door neighbors? Like, So she was like
0: the most feminine you could be as a pharaoh. Well, and I think that's also just a sign that like, no matter what women are doing, it's never enough for one for like in some people's opinion. Right. You know, and that the times have changed. Yeah. The times have absolutely significantly changed. on like what women and men are supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I think that both of them worked really hard, you know, whether they tried to or not to change perspectives on both gender and age with which are two things that typically cripple women in history right? of like, I'm either too old or I'm too feminine or I'm not feminine enough or I'm too young. Like you just can't win.
1: And the amount of marriages are incredible because (laughs) I mean, Hatshepsut was married to her father and then her stepbrother and then her stepson. Yeah. Like what? That's an insane lineage. And I feel like Betty White was saying that made her not feel like she was a woman. Yeah. And Hatshepsut was saying, I'm going to marry these men so
0: I can be a man. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it also goes to show that like what we think of marriage has also changed, but how about how it literally going from like a deal between two people from like this thing that meant you were a bad person if you didn't do it correctly. Right. And I think Betty is actually like this really strong example of a woman who at a time where divorce was very, very frowned upon said, well, I'm going to divorce two men because they weren't the right one. And it's okay that they weren't the right one. But, you know, I'm not going to exist in an unhappy marriage just because I'm supposed to. Right. I I also, like, think they're both
1: middle-finger-to-the-man people in that way. Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm not going to exist in this place, like you were saying with Betty White, that I don't want to be in. But also, like, I'm not going to... Uh, Adjust myself to the system Yes Like because Hatshepsut could have very easily been like Sure my stepson can be pharaoh And I'll be the regent And Mm -hmm. he'll make the decisions And he's 12 years old and it's fine But like her dad told her not to And she was like forget it
0: Yeah And I also I think the idea too Of these women literally living Like leaving prints of themselves On the world is really crucial mm. because with Hatshepsut we have monolith model mono- obelisks yeah obel- <laughs> obelisks and things that she built and statues and paintings and carvings and with Betty White we have you know her Hollywood star walk of fame thing whatever we have her handprints we have her shoe prints we have her handprints in Disney World in the reruns. Chinese theater like <laughs> we have reruns on TV like we have all of these like literal physical and emotional imprints of both of these women. And I think that that is a really unique thing. And I think it's a sign that both of these women did exactly what they wanted to and left the world better than when they found it.
1: And I think the coolest part is that they both knew that the possibility of their failure was worth trying. Yes. So like with Hatshepsut, like, she knew everything might be erased. So she ensured that she used she, her pronouns yeah. in all of her writing and her scribe writing. And I think Betty White knew she might go away. So she was like, listen, I'm going to jump on every game show. Yep. I'm going to get myself in every little nook and Avenue so that one day when somebody was like, who's Betty White, you'd be like, Oh,
0: I know where Betty White is. Mm-hmm. And it's also a thing of like, you can't also pin these women to just one thing. You know mm. what I'm saying? I feel like it's did so many things that her mark is everywhere. And that's why history has not forgotten her. And cause it was impossible to, she mm. literally did too many things in her reign for people to, for, you know, the next guy, whatever his name was, um, to completely erase her. It was impossible for him to erase he her. Couldn't. Because she made such a big impact. He
1: sent out thousands of people yeah, to and they could do, do it.
0: And that's the same thing with Betty White. You could never erase her because she's too big a part of Hollywood and of just the general pop, pop culture, culture. Con-
1: consciousness. I think that's right. I think these women are unerasable. Yep. And that's Ooh, their I love that biggest contribution to the world is that you cannot get rid of them no matter <sighs> how
0: hard you try. And why would you? Unerasable. <laughs> um, all right. I mean...
1: That's perfect. That's perfect. And that's a perfect I way to end it. it. I think we did it. I think
0: we did it. Are you ready to toast? I am. Okay.
1: So um, in the beginning of the podcast, I referenced a quote about her uh, that was written that said she was the first great woman in history of whom we are informed, mm. which is why I named her cocktail the first great woman. But in the toast, I want to toast the earlier greatest w- women in history of whom we are not informed. Yeah. So she was a ruler of the strongest country in the world for over two decades. And she was almost completely erased by history. People didn't find out until like the 18 and 1900s that she even existed as a female and not a male. So a lot of people, men specifically, took credit for what she did. And they literally scraped her face off of temples that she built um, or that she had slaves built. Yeah. So I, I... I can't imagine the quantity of women to which we have not been privy to learning about due to things like this that Mm -hmm. happened before Hatshepsut even existed. So this toast is to the greatest women in history that we will never find. May you rest in peace knowing that we know that you existed even if we don't know your name. Cheers. Cheers to them. Katie, what do you got?
0: I'm going to toast... Women who are here for a good time and a long time. (laughs) Keep going back. I think that it is not true that you can't be a really funny, fun, just awesome person and not live a good, long, conflict-free life. (laughs) And I just want to toast Betty White because she is the ultimate example of being beloved and good, and chill, chill, and fun, and just the best. So, cheers to Betty! To Betty! Cheers! you be here for even longer, at least a couple. <laughs> All right, what do you have going in pop culture? So, um while we were at the beach which is why we didn't record last week um i read a book on the beach called little fires everywhere how was it it was really good um it was different than i what i thought it was going to be and i wonder if that's because of the hulu series mm. um because i feel like the trailers for the hulu series were like very like action packed and like it's really kind of like a slower like drama set in this small town and it's very interesting um And I just, I think it was a really interesting story. So, and it brings up a lot of really tough questions about family and child rearing and, like, who is a parent. And it's very good. Um, I know very little about it. Yeah. It's, I didn't either. I, like, I'd seen the trailer for the show, but then I was like, well, how true to the book is it? And so... I think I didn't know what quite to expect, but it's one of those books. I again, I always saw in the bookstore, and I was like, "Everyone loves it. I should really read it." Um, so it was a, it was a slower burn than I thought it was going to be, but it was a very good book. So, so I'm those little predict- fires there were everywhere, and they were burning slowly. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So
1: I'm gonna bring up a movie that Jake and I and the girl producer and I and the girls watched a bit ago called Troop Zero and it's really really cute I mean not only is Allison Janning in it Mm. but also Viola Davis is in it Yes, and it's just a really cute father daughter story that is also a story about like insecure children Mm. and being bullied and like growing up and how hard it is and like I literally challenge you to not cry during the last scene of that movie Mm. I was like bawling uncontrollably oh my gosh um it's great it's a it's just about a little troop of like almost like girl scout type things like trying to get together under the rule of viola davis to like make this thing happen and it is so good and so quirky yeah that it's i mean i could watch it over and over again because i was just like so inspired by just the awkwardness of this movie
0: yeah uh, that's so good to know because I kept seeing trailers for it and Jim Gaffigan is in it and mm-hmm. I love Jim, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan is the main character's
1: dad. Oh, great.
0: It's and very
1: cute, but he is the weird aloof father that needs uh, these other females to come in and To like, be like, get it together. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, it looked good and that, but I wasn't sure if it was going to be... Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to live up to it so I was nervous about it. So I'm glad to hear that it's actually really good.
1: It's wonderful. (laughs) And like, there's this beautiful, it ends up being about outer space, but there's like a beautiful moment with these little girls, like standing on the picnic table at the end, like shouting at outer space. And you're just like crying. Like, Oh "Oh my
0: gosh. gosh. I love it.
1: Uh, It's very perfect. And it's definitely worth watching on whatever streaming source you have because Mm. it's very girl power, but also very like father, daughter, very school, very like, you know mentor mentee like whatever position you're in it's worth watching excellent
0: so do it so do that and go leave us a really nice rate and review on apple Podcasts. that would really mean the world to us we love seeing what you think of the show you can also email us at hearstfromtherocks at com. you can find us everywhere you can twitter linkedin instagram facebook we're all over the place
1: and in two weeks we're doing an entire season of <sighs> all requests
0: it's gonna be so great so if you have anyone get them in yeah, now because
1: we do 30 women a season 15 mm-hmm. episodes and we're up
0: to 24 so requests. six slots six left. slots left so if you want to be one of the special six just let us know and it We'll let you know if someone else is already across it. Maybe we'll recredit both of you. But please, <laughs> if there's anyone that, you know, you think is really overlooked in history or history, you know, just um, send us their name and we will fit them in next season. And we'll try our best to. And we it's got gonna a lot of great. quirky ones coming. Yes. A lot of niche people. So, <laughs> so look out for that. Um, and we love you. And thank you for listening. And never forget that well-behaved women
1: have outside
0: plants that they bring in during the winter. Mm, That's true. It's very important to bring your plants in. Don't let those herbs die. And they also rarely make history. Bye. Goodbye.